0: Hello everybody and welcome back to our series where we're reviewing every single chapter of Harry Potter. Today we're talking about chapter 5 of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Diagon Alley. Now before we jump into this one, just a little couple of things to talk about. First up, hopefully the audio quality in this one is the best we've had in the last few episodes because I'm now using my new microphone, the Samsung Q2U I think it is. I could have got that the wrong way around, but I think that's what it's called. That's what we'll go with. Um, now, that may be a little bit confusing, because if some of you have been here since episode one, I did use this microphone in the first episode, and I actually actually used it in the intro of the second episode. Basically, what happened was I'd got to a point where I'd recorded all four chapters, the first four chapters, on my old Micah Blue Snowball. And I thought I was happy with them all until I realised that episode 1 had just come out really, really fuzzy. And when I started doing this episode, it started coming out fuzzy. So I ordered a new microphone, thought, let's re-record episode 1. But for some reason, 2, 3 and 4 had come out absolutely fine. So I thought, well, we'll still go with them. They're still good. And they're the first times I've shot them. And I always like uploading the first time I've shot an episode because... It's probably the most natural, and they always say that the first one's the best, don't they? So I thought, we'll go with them. But now we can officially bring in a new, better-sounding microphone that I hope is going to make everybody's experience of the podcast more enjoyable. It certainly made me even more excited. I feel probably like, professional now with a proper mic, even though, I mean, it wasn't expensive or anything, but I've heard good reviews of it online. Now, anyway, let's talk about this chapter. So I wanted to take you on a little bit of a story time, if that's all right. Um, this... Might be a few minutes, but I promise it will link back to Harry Potter and the podcast eventually if you just bear with me. You know that I love going off on tangents, so I'll try and get my tangent out of the way early so we can get into the chapter but over the last couple of days, I've been really, really busy. Uh, I've been moving, uh, starting to get ready to move back into uni after the Christmas holidays. I've had a presentation for uni that I had to prepare and uh, do online. Uh, was also at the football, uh, which ended up being a sort of big two day job. Lots and lots of trains, took multiple hours. Trains were breaking down. It was a little bit of a nightmare. And while I was on these trains, um, I kind of needed to find something to do because since Christmas, I put on a little bit of winter weight, as I think we all have. We were all eating loads and loads, especially when you come back from uni, because when you're at uni, you've not really got the money to eat loads, whereas you come home and mum's cooking up loads of food and puddings and stuff, and yeah, it all piles on. So I've been trying to get in some daily walks, and I've kind of listened to every single podcast and Patreon podcast that I'd normally listen to. I'm all caught up, especially because some of the podcasts I listen to have taken a Christmas holiday as well. So I thought I need something else to do, so... On the train, I thought, let's download some Netflix. And I was watching that Never Have I Ever on Netflix, a really good series. Uh, I've watched both seasons actually, really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it. But I got to a point where I knew I was going to this football match and I needed to basically save some battery on my phone because I had my COVID pass on there and my ticket. So if my phone ran out on the train, I was in some trouble so i thought okay i need to think of something to do something i can listen to well i'm not going to use up all my charge on my phone and my go-to answer is normally the harry potter audiobooks the stephen fry ones so that's what i did i thought okay we'll listen to the stephen fry audiobooks because do you know what why not listen to the first four chapters the ones we've already talked about um even though i've read them through well technically read them through twice doing this series i read the chapter once to make my notes And then I kind of read it again while I'm actually making the podcast. But when I thought about it, I actually at the same time don't really read them again at all. Because when I'm making notes, I'm sort of skim reading and it's very broken up. It takes me a lot longer to read a chapter because I'm writing little bits down and stuff. And also then when I'm reading it on the podcast, I'm not like properly rereading it. Again, I'm kind of skimming it and mainly looking at my notes with the odd little paragraph from the chapter sort of plugged in there. So I thought, you know what, what's the harm in listening to the first four chapters? So that's what I did, and I got to the fifth one, and I saw that it was a 45-minute one, a really long one, as we mentioned in the last episode. This chapter is, it's a big boy compared to the ones we've done so far. And I thought, you know what, let's listen to it. You know, it's not like I'm spoiling the book, because I've listened and read them multiple times, and I did. So anyway, that, that, that goes on. I stopped at chapter five, that was it. But basically, over the last couple of days... I've been so, so busy, I've just not had a chance to make any notes, and I thought, do you know what, since I've already listened to the chapter, why not try something a little bit different? So I jumped on Google and I typed in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone Chapter 5, chapter notes basically, and I found this website called LitCharts, and it's basically got a whole page, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 5 Summary and Analysis, It's got loads of little summary paragraphs that sort of break the chapter down, plus some analysis next to it, almost like it's been written by a teacher. And I thought, do you know what? Maybe it's a one-off because I'm struggling for time and I wanna get these videos recorded before I go back to uni. Maybe I can allow myself to just steal some notes and try something different. So that's what we're gonna do today. Uh, I don't plan on making this a regular thing because obviously I understand that, I guess it's slightly less personal. Uh, than when I'm making my own notes like this but I thought maybe people like it it's a little bit different especially if you know for all I know someone could actually be maybe studying Harry Potter maybe you're lucky enough to do it at school maybe you're doing a dissertation so doing a little bit more of like a, an analysis of the chapter might be helpful for someone and it might even be something that you prefer let me know in the comments do you prefer the normal ways that we make these videos or do you prefer doing it this way the the sort of cheat way uh, I'm not necessarily promising I'll do it this way every time but just as something a bit different uh, I, I would like to credit who did it but there's no author of this on the page so what I'll just do is I'll leave a link in the description if anybody's interested in checking it out and that's my plan so I hope everyone doesn't mind and we'll probably be back to the normal routine for I'd say the next episode I think so without further ado we will start by doing what we like to normally do which is do a little summary of the last chapter the keeper of the keys chapter four so obviously, we've ran away to the shack. We've gone with the Dursleys and Harry to try and escape from the letters that were turning up addressed to Harry all over the country. And as we wake up, a big booming noise comes from outside and in comes a massive giant who introduces himself as Rubius Hagrid, the keeper of keys at Hogwarts. He tells Harry that Harry is a wizard and hands him his letter and tells him that he's been invited to go to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The Dursleys have obviously flipped at this. They're saying, Harry's not going. We can't afford to send him here. They even let slip that they lied about Harry's parents' deaths and that Harry's parents did not die in a car crash. They were murdered by Lord Voldemort, who just so happens to have been one of the deadliest wizards of all time, that Harry stopped when he was just a baby and that Harry can expect to be more than a little bit famous when he comes to the wizarding world. Uh, After a little bit of... Convincing and and arguing, we kind of get nowhere, and the Durseys continue to just hurl abuse and disrespect things that are important to Hagrid, such as Hogwarts and Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster of Hogwarts, and Hagrid loses it, and he tries to turn uh, Dudley Sorry into a pig it doesn't work it gives Dudley a pig's tail but that's enough for the Dudleys to, to for the Dursley I'm getting Dudley and Dursley confused that's enough for the Dursleys to run off into another room and just like that Harry and Hagrid have gone to sleep and we are into chapter five Diagon Alley so I'm going to use these notes I'm going to read the little summaries and sort of break them down with a little bit of the analysis that we've also been given here so hopefully that's all good for everybody so Harry wakes the next morning thinking that he dreamed the whole episode until he sees Hagrid next to him in the shack. Now I suppose if you woke up after something like that you'd definitely think it was a dream so I'm with you on that one Harry. Hagrid tells Harry they'd better depart for London whether by his school supplies. So they, they leave the shack and they've obviously gone to row back to shore. Hagrid does ask if he's a okay just to use a little bit of magic just to speed it along he asks Harry you know please don't tell anyone at Hogwarts this so obviously us as the reader are are starting to wonder "Mm, why can't Hagrid do magic because it's sort of referenced to in the last chapter he mentions that one of the main reasons he really wanted to pick Harry up was that he'd be allowed to do magic and you know but obviously it's not something on Harry's radar because you know, I'm sure he's got a hell of a lot more questions about the fact that he's a wizard and not about Hagrid as a wizard. Because let's be fair, when we're eleven, we're pretty self-centered, and if something like this happened to us as eleven-year-olds, yeah, I, I think we'd I think we'd be fairly interested in that. Let's be fair. So as they're rowing back to shore, Harry says that he's worried about affording his tuition and his supplies for school because Vernon isn't going to pay for it. Uh, and Hagrid explains to him that Harry's parents left him money in Gringotts, the wizarding bank run by goblins. So, again, goblins. So now now you're starting to wonder, okay, there's a magical world, but is it not just magical people? Are there magical sort of creatures, other species? Well, obviously, Hagrid's saying there are with goblins, and also it's kind of a big revelation to hear that Harry's actually got money, because I doubt that he's ever even been given pocket money by the Dursleys, so... I guess this would be exciting for him, but also strange to hear that you'd had all this money left to you and you'd never been able to get hold of it. And it also had me wondering, you know, where did Harry's parents get their money from? But I think what we'll do is we'll probably end up obviously discussing that later on as we learn more about his parents in the series. But I'm pretty sure they died about age 21. So I don't think they really had much time after leaving Hogwarts to go out and make a whole load of money, especially because really after they left Hogwarts, they were in the middle of the war. So I doubt they will thinking about a job much so maybe they just inherited it and they left it for harry to inherit uh who knows uh, admit Ma- oh actually do you know what some of you might know what did they do as a job because i actually have absolutely no idea hagrid mentions that the bank is impossible to rob because there are spells and dragons guarding the vaults plus the bank extends hundreds of miles and thieves often get lost um so yeah don't don't try and rob gringotts i mean don't try and rob any bank, but I suppose if you were going to pick a bank, maybe pick a Barclays or a Santander, which, for anyone not from the UK, are banks we have over here. Don't pick a wizarding bank, though, because, yeah, it's probably not going to end too well. So I think it's interesting that the analysis on this website suggests that Harry's this, this marks Harry's first real initiation into the magical world and its customs, and Hagrid explains some of the most basic as- aspects of Hogwarts and the wizarding world more generally. And I just wanted to talk about how sort of, I just think this is genius writing, because what what's very smart about this is we're in the exact same position as Harry. We're being introduced to the magical world for the first ever time, and that's a fairly big concept for a writer to introduce to us in a short amount of time. We're only on chapter five of the first book, we're only so many pages, we're only about 40 or something pages I think in, uh, if that. So, actually, maybe we're a little bit longer, I'm getting a bit confused, because I'm reading the uh, illustrated book, not the real one, so I'm a bit thingy on the page numbers, but you know what I mean, We're we're not very far in, and you've got to suddenly try to explain to us this entire magical world, and that's kind of going to be the theme of this book, is just introducing us to a lot of different aspects and learning about things with Harry. But the smart thing here is that we can learn them with Harry, so you can justify taking time to explain this stuff and bring characters in. As, as you know, if you've read the book, Ron is going to become a big sort of person in terms of introducing Harry to other magical stuff because he's lived in the wizarding world forever. He's grown up in a wizard's family. Hermione, who's muggle-born, learns about spells and stuff, so she can teach us that in that sort of way. But in general... We're able to learn with Harry. There's there's the time to do it because you can justify writing about it because you're teaching the main character as well as the reader. I hope that makes sense. But obviously, you know, let's say it, you know, for for the sake of of just trying to give an example of what I mean, there's no reason why Harry's parents had to die when they did. JK could have had Harry's parents die when he was six years old, and then he went to live with the Dursleys. But the thing that's so important about the, the events happening when they did is that Harry doesn't know a single thing about the Wizarding World. And that one change means that you can teach him and the reader at the same time. And you can make the reader sort of relate with Harry in the story, which I just think it's so smart. Let, let me know what you think if you agree or if you just think it's obvious that that's what you should have done as as the author. But I think it's very smart. And I think it just makes it, you know, it, it just makes it a lot easier to follow. So, I just really like that. But anyway, we'll keep going because I've rambled about that for quite a bit. As the boat magically propels itself to shore, Hagrid reads the Daily Prophet. The Wizarding Newspaper. Get used to The Daily Prophet. Just remember what it is because, you know, it's the equivalent here in the UK. We've got The Daily Mail, uh, which a lot of people aren't a big fan of. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of papers that people don't really like over here, a lot of controversial ones. But The Daily Prophet comes up quite a lot. as basically the, well, I think it might be the only Wizarding Newspaper. No, no, the, the Quibbler is another Wizarding Newspaper written by Luna's dad who we'll meet a lot later. But this is the main one that everybody seems to read, The Daily Prophet. Hagrid then explains the Ministry of Magic to Harry, whose main job is to keep magic a secret from the Muggles, otherwise everyone would want magic solutions to their problems. I suppose that makes sense really, you don't want the magical world mixing, and they seem to do a very good job of it, but I suppose when you've got magic on your side you can kind of achieve anything you want. But essentially the Ministry of Magic, yes that's its main job, but it's basically the wizarding government for anyone who's confused. The boat arrives on the shore, and they walk through the town to the train station. Passers-by stare at Hagrid, obviously because he's a half giant, uh, and he continues to sort of comment loudly on ordinary things such as parking meters. Now, I was a little bit, I suppose, I, I don't know, not, I don't know if confused is the right word, but the thing is, the wizards are still living in a Muggle world. They've all, you know, they're all a part of Muggle Britain, if that if if that makes sense. The Wizarding world is hiding in the Muggle kingdom in, in, in a sort of way, not the other way around. So it surprises me that wizards don't have a better idea of how Muggle stuff works. For example, uh, we sort of learn uh, in, the, in the next bit when they're trying to take a train that Hagrid has no idea how Muggle currency works. And I can't understand how you could live your whole life in England, or, well, Hogwarts is in Scotland, but live your whole life in the UK not knowing how, like, pounds and pennies work, because... I mean, that, that's just the currency. Obviously, you've got Wizards currency, but surely every now and then you've got to pop into London and you might want to run in and get a water from a corner shop or something like that. I don't know. It just seems odd to me that you could live here and not have a clue how any Muggle stuff works. Uh, but I guess I guess maybe you just don't need to. I don't know. That, that, to me, was just something that I questioned a little bit. But I guess maybe someone like Hagrid goes out of his way specifically to not mix with the Muggle world because he knows that it will... I guess, distress people and confuse people and risk giving away their secret. Because let, let, let's be honest, I mean, half giants, you get very tall people, but half giant is a is a wizarding term. You don't just see a half giant walking down the street in general. So maybe he just avoids stuff, but he was obviously happy enough to risk it all for Harry, which I suppose is nice. Uh, but he just loves having an important job, doesn't he? Anything that Dumbledore asks him to do, he's very excited by. Um, At this point, Harry turns the conversation back to to Gringotts and dragons, because Hagrid comments tenderly that he's always wanted a dragon, and he also mentioned that dragons, apparently, it's rumoured they guard the vaults at Gringotts, and I mean, this is, it was one thing hearing that goblins are real, but dragons... I mean, Harry must really be thinking, "Now, what the hell is this world that I'm walking into?" Um, and also, who's this man who says that he's always wanted a dragon? I mean, you know, some of us—I always wanted a dog when I was younger. I've sort of gone off the idea now because I think when you, when you get to a certain age, if you've never had one, you, you, I guess, just don't want one necessarily. Um, but I I guess maybe if I was a wizard it would have been a dragon, but I think that would be a little bit dangerous. It's like the idea of having a pet snake to me. I just don't get it because can you imagine you woke up one day and your snake had got out? Yeah, not, not for me. Not for me at all. So... Again, just reading the analysis section. I'm, I'm just going to pop in a little bit of analysis here and there. In the early chapters, Harry and the reader learn about magic and the wizarding world alongside each other, which is just what I was chatting about earlier. Thus, while Harry is beginning to enjoy a sense of belonging, readers are able to start to grasp the magic and mystery of the story as well. That, that I, I agree with that. That's exactly what I thought. I think it's a really good connection. And it makes you really relate with the main character, which is important, especially when we go through this whole book series, seeing things from Harry's perspective. You're going to grow such a... you know, Harry, I think, for a lot of people, isn't their favourite character. Um, I think everyone you speak to seems to have a different favourite character other than Harry. But Harry's certainly the one you relate with the most and you understand the most and you see the most emotions. You see Harry go through every single emotion in this series. So it's important that from early on you're already relating with him in that sort of sense. So Harry and Hagrid take a train to London, and Harry reviews the list of things he has to buy, including black robes, a pointed black hat, spell books, a wand, and a cauldron. Now, I wanted to ask, what did he need the pointed black hat for? I mean, I I suppose they... I'm thinking in the films now, they have them in the final house point ceremony when they award the house cup, but do they really wear the black hat that much? Like, was that essential? That seems like a little bit of a waste of money to me. But everything else seems fairly important. Uh, He looks for a place that might look like a wizard shop when they arrive in London, but he can't imagine where they might be going. Hagrid finds a tiny, grubby-looking pub called the Leaky Cauldron, and Harry notices that most people walking by don't even glance at it. He gets the feeling that those people can't actually see it. Which is interesting, because then it makes you think, okay, so what happens, even if you can't see it, what happens if someone really drunk just happens to stumble into it? I mean, what does it appear as, just a wall? I mean, people... If they're drunk, you know, they're going up against the wall. I, I don't know. Maybe it just appears as like an old run-down building that no one would go in. But then again, you get some like 15, 16-year-old kids who are looking for a little hideout place. They definitely try. So I wonder what happens if you accidentally stumbled across it as a muggle. That, that'd be an interesting one. But as for the fact that it's a tiny, grubby-looking pub, that's pretty disguised in itself because you get plenty of those around. Um, tons of them. That's like a proper English pub by the sounds of it. Uh, which I guess... But I actually had another question then reading the analysis. Do you think that young wizards and witches can see it? Um, As in, like, sort of eight, nine-year-olds who are going to be asked to go to Hogwarts or not? I don't know, because maybe that would be a fun way of finding out if your kid was actually going to get in and accepted or not. Who knows? I'm guessing not. I'm guessing... I kind of feel like the way you don't find out you're a witch or wizard officially until you get your Hogwarts letter, even though you start showing signs of magic. Let me know if you agree on that, because who knows? So when Harry and Hagrid enter the pub, people greet Hagrid warmly. Uh, Now, I had a question about this. Obviously, Hagrid seems to be a bit of a pub goer. He seems like he's that sort of guy. He seems very friendly and like he'd have a lot of mates. But again, this is one for those who have read the series all the way through. I don't really think this is a spoiler, but essentially, I'm trying to work out when Hagrid actually has the chance to ever go to the Leaky Cauldron. Because um, it kind of seems like in the main series, his main pub that he drinks at is the Hogshead, which is in Hogsmeade, which is a local wizarding town a lot closer to Hogwarts. But apart from that, I mean, he spends a lot of time in his hut. Like, there's never really ever, you know, any mention ever again of him going to the Leaky Cauldron for a pint as far as I'm concerned. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in the holidays he goes there. I could I could be doubting him. Maybe he goes there all the time, I guess. I guess when he's, you know, he's probably got plenty of free time. There's only so much you can look after the grounds of Hogwarts. But I just noted that it wasn't really mentioned again. So when they get a closer look at Harry, that's the people in the pub, they quickly realise who he is. Again, backing up the thing I spoke about ages ago when I mentioned that, you know, Harry had been out with Aunt Petunia and Dudley and people had been recognising him in the street and shaking his hand. And I said, how do they remember what he looked like from when he was a baby? Um, but obviously people do. Maybe it is just the scar. Maybe... There are, like, photographers who have been, like, leaking pictures of him, you know, like, stalking him as he's been growing up so people know what he looks like. I'm not too sure. But the bartender shakes Harry's hand, saying, Welcome back, Mr. Potter. Others tell him that they can't believe they're meeting him and that they have always wanted to shake his hand. Harry doesn't know what to say. And I suppose you wouldn't do. But that's sort of why Dumbledore made sure Harry didn't grow up in the wizarding world you know this is harry's first real taste of fame which is what was so important to dumbledore he wanted him to grow up normally because if he grew up famous it could have gone to his head he might have ended up as a nasty person but because he had 11 years of being the exact opposite of that just completely unwanted he's he's just level headed he's just a nice boy and it's not going to go to his head ridiculously um So obviously everyone's greeting Harry, they're all excited to shake his hand, which it would be because for a lot of them they basically have Harry to thank for living a normal life for the last ten years. He saved them from potentially being murdered by Lord Voldemort. So Hagrid notices Professor Quirrell, the Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts. He's very pale, has a notable stutter, and says that he's very pleased to meet Harry. So we have met Harry's first teacher, Professor Quirrell, Defence Against the Dark Arts, which will turn out to be probably most people's favourite lesson, uh, definitely the most interesting one, because I guess this dark arts mentioned, you're going to be learning proper spells about fighting and, and defending, but Professor Quirrell doesn't necessarily appear to be the man to necessarily teach that he doesn't seem the most confident but I suppose he's just one teacher let's go and meet everybody else throughout the book so Hagrid takes Harry out into the alley where he taps a particular brick in the wall three times the bricks pull away to form an archway leading them to a large bustling street Harry is in awe wanting to take everything the shops sorry to take in everything the shops selling owls cauldrons and dragon liver boys marvelling over new broomsticks, people buying robes and telescopes, windows containing bat spleens and eel eyes. Now, this is Harry's first ever official entrance into a new world. Obviously, we've been told about things and we've had evidence that magic exists with Hagrid sort of making the boat propel and turning Dursley half into a pig or at least giving him a tail... But this is like the moment where Harry officially enters the world and where we enter the world. And it's so powerful. Diagon Alley just looks incredible. In fact, I've not even been using my book because I've been stealing notes. But I'm going to see if I can really quickly pull up the Diagon Alley picture in the illustrated book. Because I'm sure there will be a great one. Um, If you haven't... Ah, I've got it here. I'll hold it up for the camera for those people watching on YouTube. Yeah, it's so impressive. But if you haven't seen Diagon Alley before, please just search in Diagon Alley on Google Images and have a look at Diagon Alley from the films because they capture it so well. It just looks like this hustle bustle like every single wizard in the world comes here. So magical, so quirky and different. I just love it. I just love it. And also, if you ever get the chance to go to the Harry Potter studio tour uh, near London, then I think you can walk through Diagon Alley. I did it years and years ago. I really want to do it again this year. It's definitely on my bucket list to to go down and have another look. But Diagon Alley is one of the most magical places there is. So, so cool. So the first place on Harry and Hagrid's list that they need to go to is Gringotts, because you can't buy anything without money. The first words engraved upon the doors read, Enter stranger, but take heed of what awaits the sin of greed. Because, you know, goblins aren't... Goblins aren't funny yeah, in that sort of way, they're not going to have a joke, they're, they're essentially saying greed is associated with evil, as this sort of analysis says here, you know, they're, they're saying be very, very careful, um, I think, I think what it really is is a sign of don't steal, but in their way they're trying to make it into this really scary warning, which... I think they would basically kill you if you stole from Gringotts. So do you know what? I would take it very, very seriously. But it does suggest that goblins aren't necessarily the funnest people. You can't go in and have some banter with them, which is pretty good to know because you wouldn't want to accidentally go in and start making jokes. or well, at least you've had it pointed out to you. So goblins staff the bank. They're short with pointed beards and very long fingers and feet. Hagrid tells a goblin that they're going to take some money from Harry's safe, handing him a key. Um, now, again, I'm kind of cheating a little bit here by, by just saying this, but if you can't picture what the goblins do, the films also do a really, really good job of portraying goblins. So, again, jump on Google Images, just, to, just type in Harry Potter goblins, uh, Griphook especially. They look really, really good. For a film that came out, I think, in 2001, they look unbelievable. They're so cool. Um, Hagrid also adds that he has a letter from Dumbledore about the you-know-what in Vault 713. So this is the first, I guess, mystery that we've sort of been presented with throughout the story. You kind of can get a sense that this, you know what, is going to become important. So maybe don't think about it too much now. Just enjoy the fact that we're entering the Wizarding World, but just keep it in mind. Just just keep it up here in your brain, because it's probably going to become a key factor again at some point. Harry asks what it is, but Hagrid only says it's secret business for Hogwarts. So a goblin named Griphook, as we mentioned before, takes Harry and Hagrid on a cart through a maze of twisting passages. They arrive at Harry's vault inside a mounds of gold, silver, and bronze coins. Harry marvels knowing that there is no way the Dursleys had known about it or they would have stolen it all from him. Hagrid helps pile a heap of coins into a bag to get Harry through a few terms. Yeah, just imagine finding out in the space of, well, less than 24 hours that you're magical, you're famous, and you're rich. Is this every 11-year-old's dream come true, maybe? Uh, I guess this is... I, I guess it is. But also, this this is something else to imp- important to remember. This is a big sign that Harry's parents care for him. That, that You know, they, they made sure that they left money for him. Even though they were still young, they they set Harry up for life. Because, you know, again, throughout the series, as I say, you're, you're going to grow with Harry. You're going to see him get older. And there are going to be questions. There are going to be questions about his parents. Because... I think that's something that JK does really, really well in this book series. Even the good characters, there's always a question. They you know, people aren't just good the whole way through this series. They have bad days. You know, it's like growing up as real teenagers. Some of them do questionable things that you think, Do you know what, you shouldn't have done that? They upset people, they fall out. It's like a proper sort of teen drama in a magical world. So I think, you know, it's it's important to always understand the people who genuinely care for harry and the people who you know don't because the people who care for him you know there's also questions at some points but this this solidly says that harry's parents above everything they cared for him enough to make sure that he'd be okay financially which is very important it also suggests that dumbledore cares because he obviously went out of his way to make sure that the dursleys would never get their hands on it because they would have stolen all of it they're that sort of people they love money So after they've gone and collected Harry's money, uh, they go even deeper into the bank until they reach Vault 713. Now, I think the fact that it's even deeper should probably, again, give you a hint that it's very, very important and very secretive. Uh, I'm almost imagining that the further down you go in Gringotts, the more important stuff is. So, like, the vaults of the Minister for Magic, maybe, who is the... Prime Minister or the President of the Wizarding World. Uh, or maybe, you know, again, hiding big artefacts or bank accounts with the most amount of money. You know, the deeper down, the more you're trying to protect it. This vault has no keyhole. The goblin simply runs a finger across the door and it melts away. Again, like, there is no way you could rob this unless you were literally a goblin. And the goblins... it Well, it's, it's almost implied that every single goblin just works at Gringotts. They're kind of all in it together. So I suppose you know that it's never going to get nicked. Uh, The Goblin explains that if anyone else tried that, they'd be sucked through the door and trapped. Inside is simply a grubby little package. Hagrid tucks it into his coat, and they set off for the ground level. Now, I think this is important, because it's kind of... Well, I guess it's kind of disappointing, but that's what makes it really, really intriguing. What's so special about a grubby little package? I think the way that you pretend that it's nothing it almost as the reader makes you think that it's a bigger deal whereas to Harry's an 11 year old it's probably really disappointing he was probably except, like expecting some massive sword or something like that but no it's a grubby little package that is clearly very very important so you know as i said just keep thinking about it don't don't think about it too much because we've got a lot of other stuff between before we find out about that again to i guess learn about and discuss so just just keep it in the back of your head so after I've been to the bank, it's time to start shopping. Um, I wonder, I, f- I feel like I'm just comparing it to me now. I hate shopping, and as an 11-year-old being dragged around shops, especially at the thought of going back to school, was my worst nightmare. But I suppose if you're Harry and you're being dragged around wizarding shops, maybe it's a little bit more exciting. In fact, I'm wrong. You'd be absolutely buzzing. Um, although, as we sort of find out a bit later, really he's thinking about buying his wand. He doesn't want to go around buying robes and stuff. Uh, but he has to, so Harry has to go to Madam Malkin's, uh, which is the robe shop in Diagon Alley. Now, when he goes in, there's only one other boy in there, uh, which I I presumed was probably a little bit unrealistic. I mean, you're what? A few weeks away from the school term resuming, you've got one shop in the whole of Diagon Alley that sells robes, and there's only two Hogwarts boys in there. Seems a little bit thingy to me. I'd have thought it would be absolutely chocker, just choose, choose uh, sorry, not choose, cues coming out of it, massive line to get in but no harry goes in alone hagrid says he feels a little bit motion sick from the cart riding gringotts so he excuses himself to go to the leaky cauldron for a pint so harry goes in and this other boy inside there is also getting his robes fitted next to him he says that his father is buying his his books and his mother is buying his wand then he's going to go buy a racing broom saying that he wants to try and smuggle one onto school and complaining that first years can't have their own and that he thinks he'll be able to get away with it. Now, this boy strongly reminds Harry of Dudley, which should immediately imply that Harry doesn't like him. For anybody who doesn't know, we're going to be revealed that this boy is Draco Malfoy. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about Malfoy, but Harry's not a massive fan. He's obviously very, very rich. He's very, very smarmy you know he's got his dad going off and buying some stuff his mum's buying his wand you know he's just going to get his robes fit and then they're done you know it's almost like he treats his parents as sort of slaves like that and the way that he talks about smuggling something into school now i think when you get older in school and you've been in school a while maybe you're a little bit more inclined to break the odd rule here or there i think everyone's done it but if you're a first year going to a magical school would you really try and break a rule like that on your first day and smuggle something in nah not really just go with it just 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 enjoy your first year don't get into any trouble don't upset anyone don't get expelled and you know and apparently second years uh, are allowed racing but Well, you'd imagine that if first years aren't you know a second years and beyond allowed them well we know because we've read the series or some of us have that yeah from second year you're allowed to take a broomstick in so why not just wait a year i don't know i suppose well i do know because he's not a very nice boy and he clearly thinks he can get away with anything Draco asks if Harry has a broom, or if he's played Quidditch. I've just realised I've never actually explained what Quidditch is. Uh, Quidditch is what brooms are used for. Brooms and Quidditch are all part of the magical sport, basically. You fly around on a broom, it's called Quidditch. I'm not going to explain the rules because there's going to be a whole chapter coming up where we're talking about Quidditch, but if you know, you know. But essentially, just think football but wizarding, and you use a broomstick rather than your feet. Uh, So Harry obviously says no, he's never played Quidditch, he doesn't even know what Quidditch is. Draco then asks Harry if he knows what house he'll be in. Um, Harry says no, feeling more stupid by the minute. Obviously starting to get a little bit uncomfortable that he understands nothing about the wizarding world. Which I guess is difficult, because he's clearly now starting to realise that other children have grown up in this. It's not like they're all in his situation, where they all sort of come into the world at 11 and, you know, it's going to start coming into his head that, you know, maybe he's going to be really behind everyone. You know, he's got absolutely no idea what's happening. Uh, but in terms of houses, this obviously just means school houses. Uh Draco says he thinks he'll be in Slytherin, as his whole family have been. Suddenly then, Draco notices Hagrid outside the window, and Harry tells him who he is, pleased to know something that Draco doesn't. Draco says that he's heard of Hagrid, and that apparently he's the servant at Hogwarts. He goes on to say that he's heard Hagrid is kind of a savage. Um says a lot about Draco, doesn't it? Obviously, Hagrid we know is lovely, but of course Draco and his family would assume that he's just a servant or a savage or something, just like a beast. I mean, you're already hating Draco when we've only just met him. Now, Harry counters this by saying that he thinks Hagrid is brilliant, and I was happy with this. I was proud of Harry. You know, stand up for yourself. Just because you're 11 and this boy knows more about the wizarding world than you, you know go for it if you know something and if you like someone that's very important and that's something that I think you're going to grow to love with Harry throughout this series he does stand up for the people he cares about he's a very passionate emotional person but he always knows who his friends are and Hagrid's one of them and we've kind of learned immediately that Draco Malfoy is going to be an enemy of Harry so I suppose that's good to know Uh, we've got that out the way Draco then asks Harry where his parents are Harry says shortly that they're dead Draco asks Harry whether they were their kind or not, or he says our kind. and Harry replies, yes, they were a witch and wizard. Draco says that he doesn't think that they should let the other sort in because they aren't brought up the same way. They haven't even heard of Hogwarts before getting the letter, Draco says. Draco asks Harry his name, but before he can respond, Madame Malkin says that Harry is finished. Now, essentially what Draco is implying is that people who aren't born of magical parents or magical blood should be allowed in Hogwarts. Essentially, this is kind of what racism is, I guess, represented by in the Harry Potter books. Racism is kind of this idea that pure bloods are better than muggle-born or people with non-magic blood, which is really disturbing when you think about it, but essentially that was the whole motive behind Voldemort. So if you really start piecing things together, you could kind of figure out that maybe Draco's family had something to do with Voldemort in the past, but obviously it it's just more and more stuff to imply that someone's not very, very nice. And the fact that he said that people who haven't even heard of Hogwarts before they get their letter shouldn't be allowed in, is probably setting Harry off a little bit and making him even more worried, because obviously even though Harry had magical parents, he didn't know what Hogwarts was till he got his letter. He had no idea, but I presume Draco has obviously not put that together. He assumed that Harry would know who you know, what Hogwarts is. But obviously, Draco... Now, this was another question I had. Draco hasn't recognised this as Harry because he asks him his name and obviously Harry runs off before he has to respond. But this is what I couldn't understand. How come everybody in the Leaky Cauldron knew who Harry was, but Draco doesn't? Because surely... You know, even like kids would grow up having seen pictures of Harry if they exist. Surely Draco would recognise the scar that Harry's got. Surely Draco, you know, would put two and two together when he hears that his parents are dead and that he's the same age as him and he starts in Hogwarts. The clues are there, Draco. Put it together. It's obviously Harry Potter, but he doesn't. He clearly doesn't clock it, but oh well. So Harry leaps up, eager to escape from the conversation. Outside, uh, he tells Hagrid, who's turned up with two big ice creams. You little liar, Hagrid. Although I assume, I reckon he still went to the leaky cauldron and slammed a few pints in. Let's be honest, Hagrid probably downs pints like the, I guess, little like mini espresso shots or something. Uh, outside, he tells Hagrid about what Draco said that people from Muggle families shouldn't be allowed at Hogwarts. Hagrid assures Harry that he's not from a Muggle family, but even if he were, some of the best witches and wizards had Muggle parents. For example, his mum, Lily, which is important. And again, it just says that Harry, you know, Hagrid understands things, uh, that Harry, that Hagrid's a good person. Uh, it also affirms Harry's sense of belonging in his newfound world because you're just seeing all these examples of, like, you know, his mum. His mum only found out about Hogwarts when she got her letter, so everybody's got this understanding. But also, his mum was a great witch, so it's going to make him feel more like he's more likely to become a great wizard. So it's all things like Hagrid, he just always knows when to say the right thing, which is, well, we're going to find out later in this book. Maybe he doesn't always. But in terms of emotionally uh, and speaking to to youngsters, he clearly has a bit of an art for it. And you're starting to see why Dumbledore sent him on this mission, because as much as he's a little bit clumsy dumbledore knows that hagrid's good and hagrid was the man to do this so good on you hagrid and good on you dumbledore so harry asks hagrid what quidditch is and hagrid explains it's a wizard sport played on flying broomsticks with four balls harry then asks about houses hagrid says there are four of them at hogwarts into which students are placed Uh, these are gryffindor hufflepuff ravenclaw and slytherin for anyone who was wondering He tells Harry that there's not a single witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin and that you know who was one of them. So again, just trying to build up this idea that this boy Draco or I don't know if I don't actually think we were told his name in the chapter, but the boy who Harry just met in Madame Malkin's just suggesting that he's not very nice by the fact that he really wanted to be in Slytherin, which just so happened to be the house that everybody, including you know who who went bad was in. So, next up on the list, Harry and Hagrid go to buy his school books, and Harry has to be dragged away from a book that would allow him to curse Dudley. So, there is a little bit of a menacing side in Hagrid uh, in Harry. Sorry, I keep getting Hagrid and Harry's name confused. They're so similar. But there's a bit of a, a streak in Harry where, obviously, he's got a lot of pent-up frustration with Dudley, and he wouldn't mind getting a little bit of revenge. But, again, that's what I've been saying about, you know, with Harry. He'll have his moments where he says probably the wrong thing and when you don't necessarily think he's in the right, but... He's still a good kid. He's got every reason to want to curse Dudley. Although maybe Dudley's had it bad enough. I mean, yes, he's been a bully for a very long time, but he's also just had a pig's tail sprout up from his bottom, which I think would be fairly disturbing. I think that would mess you up big time. Um, Hagrid tells Harry that he's not supposed to use magic in the Muggle world, except under special circumstances. Uh, And you're also, as a kid, you're not supposed to use magic in the Muggle world at all. Um, And anyway... He also says that Harry will need to study a lot before he can use spells like that. They move on to buy supplies for Harry's potion classes at the apothecary. Apothecary. Sorry, I'm terrible with announce- with pronouncing words. The potions shop. Let's just let's just settle on that, can we? So, Hagrid then decides he needs to buy Harry a birthday present, which means a hell of a lot to Harry because he's never really had proper birthday presents. He's had the odd pair of socks and stuff from the Dursleys, but never anything, you know, never from anyone who actually wanted to buy him a present. Uh, And Hagrid buys him a beautiful snowy owl because you're allowed pets at Hogwarts. You're allowed a cat. You're allowed... A toad, you can have a rat, you can have an owl, and I think owl's probably the most useful one because it can deliver your post for you. And obviously, Hagrid, he's got a passion for animals, so he would be the perfect person to buy you an owl. He'd know the right one. Harry then visits Ollivander's wand shop, very excited to get a wand. This was the last thing on their list, but definitely the most exciting thing for Harry. Inside, Harry feels the very air tingle with some secret magic. Ollivander greets Harry, immediately noticing that he has Lily's eyes and that he still remembers when she was in his shop buying her first wand. Ollivander also notes Harry's scar, confessing with dismay that he made the wand that did it. So Ollivander's obviously very, very intelligent. He seems to recognise everybody. Later in the chapter, he immediately recognises Hagrid and knows what wand he gave Hagrid. So you're a bit creeped out by this Ollivander guy already. He seems to be on the right side, but he seems to be a little bit almost creepy, I suppose. Ollivander gives Harry three wands to try, but takes each one back immediately. He then hands Harry a final wand. Harry feels a warmth in his fingers when he swishes it in the air. A stream of red and gold sparks shoot from the end like fireworks. Ollivander cries, Bravo! but then realizes something curious about the wand. The phoenix whose tail feather is in Harry's wand gave only a single other feather to the wand which gave Harry his scar. Ollivander comments that people should expect great things from Harry because, after all, you-know-who did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Harry shivers. He nervously pays for the wand and leaves the shop. Now, again, this this is what I was saying about Ollivander. He, He is on the good side. You know, he's obviously a good person, but what he's mainly interested in is power and wands. So the fact that he obviously... Realizes that what you know who did was terrible, but he can appreciate how impressive it was. And that's kind of it, puts you a little bit on edge. But that's just Olivander. Ones are his passion. He, you know, he enjoys seeing his ones put to effective use, whether that's good or evil, I suppose. But let's talk for a second about the wand and the feather because that is really interesting the fact that harry and you know whose wands come from the same phoenix you know that gave out only two feathers that's a massive coincidence but i think it says a lot about the magical world and the fact that coincidences like this do happen there are bonds that tie people together this scar the wand obviously recognized it in harry shows how much power and magic is just inside these wands and how Personal they are to somebody. Ollivander actually says as well, you'll never be able to use someone else's wand to the same effect that you can use your own because you have a connection with that wand, which is really impressive and and it's an important theme to remember about the wands because obviously it'll become you know if if Harry and you know whoever do face off, they've got basically brothers as wands, which is which is obviously very interesting. Ollivander also does point out it's not mentioned here in these notes, but he points out that Hagrid had had his wand broken. Uh, but Hagrid sort of sheepishly clutches his umbrella very, very tightly, uh, which is maybe a little bit of foreshadowing. Maybe there's something unusual about that umbrella. But also, why did he have his wand broken? An interesting question, and I'm sure that one day we'll get the answer. In the late afternoon, Harry and Hagrid make their way back to the train station. They eat before Harry's train home, but Harry is very quiet. Harry has had the best birthday of his life, but he confesses to Hagrid what's worrying him. Everyone thinks he's special, but he doesn't know anything about magic. Hagrid assures him that he'll learn quickly. Everyone starts at the beginning of starts at the beginning at Hogwarts and that he'll have a wonderful time. Hagrid gives Harry his ticket to Hogwarts and sees him off on the train home. And that is the end of our chapter. So, we've now essentially prepared to go to Hogwarts. We've got all of our school bits, we've got a ticket to get to Hogwarts. And we're going to have to go through that at a later date. Um, but, you know, you can understand why Harry's worried because, as I said before, that that's kind of, I guess, you know, meeting that boy Draco in Madame Malkins. It, it's really pounding it home to him that he has absolutely no idea what he's walking into and suddenly you know it's one thing nipping to Diagon Alley for the day but in a month's time he's going to be going to Hogwarts live, living in the Wizarding World full-time as a celebrity everyone's going to want to talk to him and everyone's going to know his name and he has no idea what even like Quidditch is so he's got a hell of a lot to learn but we'll get there as I said before We've got to learn about the rest of the Wizarding World. Harry's got to learn. But Hagrid's reassured us. You'll get there because that's what the first year is about. And it kind of is symbolic that that's also what the first book is about. It's about teaching us how Hogwarts works. So without further ado, we are going to leave it there for now. In the next part, we're going to be talking about Chapter 6, The Journey from Platform 9 and Three-Quarters. Hmm, Platform 9 and Three-Quarters. That doesn't sound right. That sounds unusual like a lot of things in this book are suddenly starting to seem a bit unusual thank you all for watching i'll see you next friday 6 p.m for the next episode have a good week everyone and goodbye